Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, one and all, to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Jay Phantom, former real estate agent now, living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Storybox podcast. Thank you all so much for your support and coming back every single week uh, to support the show and listen in and ho- hope you guys are getting some value from all the guests that are coming on, I'm working really, really hard each and every day to bring on some more amazing people for you guys to listen to and glean as much value as you possibly can. So with that being said, my friends, I have a very special guest for you. His name is Ryan Blair. Now, if you don't know who Ryan is, he's a New York Times bestselling author and a serial entrepreneur who came from nothing to lose and had everything to gain. At the age of 21 years old, Blair had already founded his first business, uh, 24-7 Tech, and has since created and sold numerous other companies for hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of his career. In 2012, Blair was named uh, one of Ernest & Young's Entrepreneurs of the Year in the category of Consumer Products. Blair is the contributor uh, for LinkedIn, Financial Times, and Forbes.com and took a turn in the movie production serving as executive producer for a number of films. He also has a documentary about his life uh, called Nothing to Lose. He's been featured in Forbes, CNN, Inc., Business Insider, Bloomberg Business, Yahoo, uh, CBS, NBC, Fox News, Huffington Post, ABC, Men's Health, just to name a few. And oh boy, do we have an amazing conversation. I get to ask Blair a lot of the questions that um, I don't think he's ever been asked before. So uh, we, we got some really good content in this, in this interview. So I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it and feel inspired, uh, hopefully challenged in some way from, from his story. It's quite incredible how he went from a gang member to then earning millions and millions of dollars, selling his company and now doing what he does with Altacall. Uh, his testament of faith and how that plays a part in his life and how it has played a part in his life over the years. I know you guys are going to love this one. So please do me a huge favor. If you do get something from this, spend 30 seconds doing a number of things. It doesn't take that long, but it goes a long way. 30 seconds leaving a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. If you listen over there, that'd be most helpful. And also share this episode around. Uh, to all your friends and family members, there's a lot of golden nuggets in this one that you guys are going to glean a lot of value from. That would be super helpful. Pay it forward um, and you can help change somebody's life and be a positive influence in someone's life today. So greatly appreciate that, guys. With that all being said, now is the time to dive into the story box and hear the wise and the awe-inspiring story of Ryan Blair. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Dude, it's an absolute honor, man. We are just chatting before how we have a couple of mutual friends uh, and you've been on their podcast and I, I really love listening to just you being interviewed and hearing yeah. your story. And it's a real honor for me to actually have you on here. So thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I love to help and anytime I can give value, you know, it, it's, it's great to be able to serve, especially all the way across the world right now. So I'm just happy to be able to make this connection. I love it, dude. So... Before we dive into your backstory and why you do what you do, everything like your, your actual story, 
I usually have one question that I love asking people. You've been able to achieve so much in your life. It's very clear just from a short bio that I read out. And I'm always curious about what does success look like to you? You know, I, so I had a mentor by the name of Coach John Wooden, Ooh. and he has a definition of success. And I'll paraphrase it, but it's having the peace of mind of knowing that you did your best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing that you took this vessel, this body that you have, and, you know, all the gifts that we're able to, to have, you know, being born where we're born, you know, in the society that we're in, in the time that we're in, and you put them to the, the best use possible. And so that's my, my definition of success, whether it be as a father, as an author, you know, as a business person, as a friend, it's like, did I, did I really devote my all to it? And did I give my all? And when you give your all, you, you know, you can't fail, you know? And, and so, yeah, I, I would say that that's my definition. Now, my definition of success used to be much more monetarily focused and much more materialistic, but I, I would say now it's, it's much more about, did I wake up today and did I... Take one, did I get one step closer toward fulfilling my purpose on this earth? And if I did that, it was a successful day and, you know, and, and I'm happy about the day. What caught my attention in all of that was the fact that John Wooden was one of your mentors. Yeah. That, would have, that would have been one hell of an experience being mentored under that incredible man. So are you able to share some of his wisdom that he was able to pass on to you? Just little bits and pieces? Oh, what? yeah. So... So John Wooden, um, it's funny. It was a, it was a very spiritual thing that um, I'd been at a, a charity auction and I was bidding on a couple of things. And I, this was right when I was pretty early in my career. So I had a little bit of money, not a lot. I couldn't afford this last piece that I was drawn to that had John Wooden's signature on it and it had his pyramid of success. And, you know, it was on my heart to get it, but I already bid on these other things. And so I couldn't afford it. So I said, no. And as I was walking out of the charity event, it was sitting on my tire. It was on the tire of my car. And I was like, what happened? Did somebody buy this for me? Like, how did this get to my tire? And I called, my mom was actually running the charity event. I said, did you buy it for me? And she said, no, I didn't buy it for you. I said, then somebody must have stole it and put it on my car tire. And she's like, I guess. So I ended up having to buy it because I didn't want people to think that I actually stole this thing because it was now in my possession because I thought maybe my mom bought it for me. And it was just a crazy experience. And that was the first time I got to know who John Wooden was. And then I would later meet him. And so it just made a lot of sense. And I have this, this, um, this pyramid of success signed by him hanging in my office wall. And I've been able to spend a lot of time with him. In fact, at Vaisalas, I created a global leadership award that he was the first recipient of. And so he came wow. to meet my team. And some of the best wisdom that I've received from him a lot on father, on being a father. One of the things that he told me was the most important thing a father can do for his son is to love his son's mother. And, you know, my, my, um, my son's mother and I didn't always have a very loving relationship. And so that was my anchor windward when we went through some very difficult times is that I got to love her for my son. Um, and I, 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 re- I, I lean on that. He was a very uh, humble man. One time I was at his house and he let me hold his presidential medal of freedom, which is the highest uh, civil uh, uh, award that we can receive in the United States. And it was just sitting there and he just handed it to me and I'm holding this thing among, you know, hundreds of trophies, uh, all kinds of different sports memorabilia, like priceless stuff. And, you know, he was signing me things, signing stuff to my son, Reagan, uh, just a giving soul. And, you know, I got to like get in to know him intimately and spend time, you know, in, in some in- interesting places. And when he elevated, when he passed away, um, you know, it impacted me deeply. But the most important, I think, from a business perspective is he would, uh, the first um, uh, practice of every year, all he would teach the players was how to appropriately put on their socks and shoes. And there were players that he had year after year. But if you didn't go through socks and shoes training, you couldn't be on the team. And when I asked him, like, why was that so important? He would say, because if you didn't put on your socks correctly and your shoes correctly, you got blisters. If you got blisters, you couldn't run fast. Our team was about running fast. And so he was relentless for the small details. And he was a systems builder. And so all of his success came after cultivating systems. And he was meticulous in his systems building. And that's why he built such great winning teams and is the all-time winningest coach and uh, men's basketball history, but also considered by ESPN 
to be the top coach of the past hundred years. Mm. So I learned from him a lot. And I also learned from one of his protégés, Coach Dale Brown. And so I've had two great coaches in my life. Coach Brown was an LSU Hall of Fame coach, most known for finding and discovering Shaquille O'Neal and mentoring yeah. Shaquille O'Neal into the person that he is. So I've had, I've had some great mentors come into my life, many others, um, but those are the two most notable coaches. Would you say that John Wooden made the most profound impact on your life compared to other coaches and mentors? You know, it, 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 he was the most famous mentor to ever believe in me. And he wrote me a blurb on my book, uh, my first uh, copy of Nothing to Lose on the back of it. He wrote a blurb saying, we all can learn from Ryan. And like that gave me a level of confidence. Like, he, you know, that, that he believed in me so much so. And it was because of my meeting with him that day that I was describing that I met uh, the person who actually taught me to write books. He was interviewing John for one of his last books. And his name is Don Yeager. And as a result of that, I met Don. And then Don believed I should write a book. And Don actually became my co-author in my first book. So I owe my entire writing career to meeting of John Wooden. That just actually gave me chills hearing. Yeah. We, we can all learn from Ryan. Like imagine, yeah. imagine hearing that or reading it from someone like so, so humble and considered to be one of the best coaches in, in all, all of history. Um, yeah. Mate, like what an incredible honor. So yeah, it was, I have a, I have an audio of me interviewing him and it's a priceless treasure of, you know, of, of just our time together. And I was so nervous when I first met him, I'd written up every question you could imagine. And I, I lost sleep. I prepared and I finally got to sit down with him and, you know, he's a, he was a tough judge of character. So if he didn't like you, if he didn't like your energy, you know, you, you, you didn't have much time with him and, and he was never going to waste time with people, especially particularly at the age that I got to meet him around 96, I believe he was. And he ended up passing away at around 99. So, you know, uh, but one of the other things that I really learned from him was his phone would ring off the hook of people that were seeking his, his knowledge and his wisdom and his time to the very end of his life. And, and in retrospect, there's a lot of people in some of my old family, you know, that age, like they were begging for people's time and attention, but this man had contributed so much to other people's lives that people were still coming to him to his very last days. And that really struck me as like, that's the life that I wanted to live. One that, you know, that I was never wanting for company that I created so much value that the company would be coming to me. Wow, man. Like what a, what a way to start our conversation. I haven't even dived into really your backstory yet. And we're already talking about such profound lessons from two incredible people, you and, and John Wooden. So thank, thank you so much, man. Like, I'll, but now what I want to do is I want to steer the conversation back to you a little bit and, and ask you, how did you grow up? So what were the things that you wanted to be when you grew up? What are some of the lessons that you learned as a young kid? How have they translated into what you do now or have they? And that's probably a big, big question there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. A lot of the, the recently I've, I've come to realize that a few of the dreams that I had as a young child have manifested themselves just recently. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, I was, I was a big dreamer as a kid. Um, but then I, I, my dad got addicted to drugs. Um, and my mother was an alcoholic and my brothers and sisters were in and out of gangs and trouble in prison. So I got caught up with the wrong crowd my dad disappeared at 13 years old. And so I went from a middle-class lifestyle to a poor lifestyle. I got jumped into a gang, forced into a gang to avenge uh, my sister's best friend murder. She was murdered. Her name is Jennifer Jordan. And as a result of that, um, you know, I, I was, next thing you know, I was running guns. I was doing drugs, running, you know, selling drugs, uh, involved in all kinds of, of illegal entrepreneurial activities. And when I was 17 years old, I was facing four years in prison. All my tattoos came from when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, and I was, you know, involved in a lot of fights and a lot of trouble. And I was in and out of juvenile hall. And I wrote to the judge begging for leniency. And I'll never forget, in the moment that he read my letter, something came over him and he said, son, you should be writing in college, not in prison. And I get emotional just thinking about it because that was the first time anybody had ever said Ryan Blair in college. Like everybody had assumed I'd be in prison uh, or I'd be relegated to some sort of lower lifestyle, lower life, um, you know, in terms of the societal uh, hierarchies. 
And, you know, the counselors never believed in me. Teachers didn't believe in me. And this judge believed in me. And so I thought to myself, well, maybe I'm going to become a writer. And, you know, years later, that, that dream would come true. And I did become a writer. And I actually published the, judge, the letter that I wrote to the judge. Um, but I, I realized just such a huge power in writing at that time. And that's what I call an altar call moment. Like that was my first altar call moment where I knew that my life would never be the same. Um, I had many others since then. Shortly after that moment, I made a commitment that I was going to leave the gang and that I was going to, um, you know, change my life because that's what I begged the judge. And he said, if I ever showed back up there, he's going to put me away. Um, and so I had a choice, like either change or go to prison for the rest of my life. You know, and, and the situation that I was in, the gang that I was involved in, four years would have led to me becoming a professional criminal in prison. And I would have... Um, it, my life would have been completely different than it is now had I uh, not made the change that I had to make. Mm. Um, and so, you know, shortly after that, my mother started dating a man who was an entrepreneur and he loved my mother enough that he would take me under his wing and I became his apprentice and started learning legal entrepreneurship. And so as I transitioned out of the gang, I transitioned to becoming a legal entrepreneur at around 19 years old. And then from there, I realized that, you know, there's just so much easier to be a legal entrepreneur than an illegal entrepreneur. And, um, and I just saw how easy business was because I, I'd had to figure out how to live. I had to figure out how to dodge bullets. I had to figure out how to avoid being jumped and, and go to jail. And I'd been put in some pretty tough scenarios. Um, and so running in a business scenario was, it was very easy in comparison. A mm. couple of questions from that story, which is, incredibly powerful and I'm just like my brain's going wild just thinking about it but did you ever get to meet that judge in person did you ever get to yeah yeah he, he actually saw me in a um, news he read about me in the newspaper and I cited him and he wrote to me and I still have a letter and it was a really cool moment for you know for him to say it's not often that I write letters like this because you know most often he sees you know people don't honor their commitments and uh and you know and it was really cool. I did get to meet the judge a couple of times after I turned my life around. And, um, and then he wrote a letter after seeing me uh, in a newspaper that was you know, documenting my journey. And it was pretty cool to see that. Wow. My next question from that man is, what have you learned about forgiveness during that yeah. period of time? Uh, you know, forgiveness is one of the most powerful modalities in the world. Um, when my father passed away in 2019, not too long ago, I, I went deep into forgiveness for a period of weeks where all I did was hunt down things that I could forgive him for, that I could forgive myself for. And I was very much a victim to the, the abuse that, you know, that, that he did to myself and my mom and everyone else. And it was very violent. But I, I still sought to really understand this power of forgiveness and this modality of it. And I teach it now. Um, there's really nothing more powerful. We often... We just don't realize how forgiveness frees you. And it's, you know, one of the most powerful things that we can teach. And, you know, I'm, I'm, um, uh, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, our, our leader in the Christian community, Jesus taught forgiveness. And that's why, you know, his ministry is so powerful and it continues on to this day mm -hmm. is because of the power of forgiveness. So I'm a huge believer in forgiveness. So am I. I'm a Christian as well. Brought up in a Christian household, made a commitment and testament of, of faith when I was 10 years old. And I, I have to agree with you. Everything that you just said right there, Christ was the ultimate example when it comes to forgiveness. Like you think of what happened to him and yeah. he, he cries out and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. And I think no matter what we go through in life, because Ryan, I don't want to ever take away from your story at all, but you know, I've had a crazy upbringing myself. I've had a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of times where it's very, it's almost like seeming impossible to yeah. forgive. And you always have that question in the back of your mind, like, why? Why am I going through this? Why is no one else going through that? But it's really the, the testament of faith really comes down to, okay, God gave you this for a reason. Yeah. the best part about it is learning how to actually work towards forgiveness. And it's such a powerful, powerful thing, man. Like I appreciate you sharing all that. And well, when just, um, you know, the, and there's a verse that 
uh, God turns all things good if you believe, right? And so I now look at the negative in my life, even losing my mother, my best friend, you know, my unconditional love. And I, and our anniversary of her elevation is coming up. And like, I'm really excited by it. Where most people would look at it and say, it's the worst day of my life. I look at it that, that that's the day of my life where I received a spiritual awakening and a transition. And, you know, I, I don't have any pain. Like I'm actually looking forward to celebrating the day of her elevation coming up here. And, and that's just a testament to when you have the faith and you do the work, all things turn good, all things negative turn good. And I've been through a tremendous amount of pain in my life. And I see every single thing that's happened to me as such a learning lesson. Now I have detached myself from the need to learn through pain and suffering because that was the only way that I was learning before. And so, you know, you don't have to always learn through pain and suffering. Um, I, I'm now much, I, I'd much rather learn through uh, joy and happiness and, and through, you know, the many other gratitude and so forth. And so the key is, is to make that transition in life, but we always will have pain and suffering. And that's just the nature of the chaotic world that we live in. And so you have to really have a strategy to receive the negative and turn it into positive. And when you do that, nothing can stop you. In fact, you start to, you know, you, 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 um, you, you see the negative as a tool mm. and it becomes like a game where you're like, okay, great. This person's mad at me. Fantastic. I'm going to turn this into positive. Mm. I'm going to absorb this, learn from it. What's the lesson here? How could I have been better? How could I have changed? How could I have resolved this conflict earlier? Um, and then you utilize that friction. And next thing you know, your relationship is stronger, it's growing, and you know, you're doing more powerful things with that person that you had a conflict with, right? Mm. As opposed to what we traditionally do is we avoid the negativity. And you know, healing is painful. And so when you're healing yourself, it feels negative. Mm. Um, but if you if you avoid the the pain of healing, it manifests itself in so many other symptoms. Mm. So that's the secret is turning negative into positive. And it's easier for a lot of people. It's easier said than done. And I know for for me, the journey, I'm only 24, Ryan. And, you know, like if I was to share just a little bit, you'd be probably like, how in the world are you still standing? Um, But it's almost like this, the journey of it. Like last year, I went on a journey as well, completely separate to all the other things that I've been on. But the journey that I went on was self-discovery. And I needed to, it's where I came up with this method that I call the CAP method. So C stands for uh, choice, A stands for acceptance, and P stands for persistence, which then leads me to my, my number one saying in life, which is be persistent to remain consistent for the things that you want. So yeah. I needed to understand, it was like a light bulb moment that came on, Ryan. I love it. It was like, it was my choice to be stuck in this mindset of negativity. Whereas I could have accepted the fact that I could do the work, but the work is hard. I could, I could, I still accept it. But if I was to do that, yes, it'd be painful, but what's on the other side of that? Yeah. It, it's bliss. That's the joy. <laughs> yeah. And well, you know, we, we live in a society that constrains us the, the way, the, you know, the way, uh, jobs are organized and industrialism. And, you know, the age that we are in is all about stealing our attention away from our purpose, away from our talents, away from our calling, social media companies. I mean, everything, politicians, everyone in the world is trying to stop us, you know, take us away from going internal and finding a way to fully maximize our mind, our body, our soul, and our role together in harmony. And if you can get all four of those elements firing together, you have a powerful engine and just no one's doing it. It's like everyone is either focused on their body, but not on their mind, not on their soul or not on their role. They might get one right. If they're lucky, they might get two right. If they're very lucky, they get three of them right. But very rarely does somebody get all four of those things dialed in and then continue to make the investments in that. And so that light bulb that went off in your, your, your mindset um, it's a natural process that happens to all of us. We're all being recruited to being problem solvers. Like the universe has so many problems and it needs problem solvers. And so, you know, all of us are being recruited to solve those problems. It's just a matter of whether or not we accept the calling that is, that is you know, placed on us and the problem that, that we're supposed to solve. And that's all entrepreneurship is, hmm. is solving problems. Yeah. And I believe God gave us a, an amazing gift. If you want to believe it or not, that's, that's, your, that's your choice. 
but yeah. he gave us free will. That oh, yeah. We can do whatever we choose to do, but the consequences are always on us, not on him. We, we yeah. always play the blame game. Like, you know, I think Tony Robbins says it, Ed Milet says it as well. Things happen for us, not to us. Yeah. Oh, I love that, that expression, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, and I, I, I share this. If you think about how powerful a person is, a, any person can go create a tremendous amount of destruction. Mm. We see it all the time in the news. You know, in, in America, we have problems with children walking into schools with machine guns and destroying the lives of many people, you know, hurting our entire economy, our society, the, you know, destroying the lives of families, creating a tremendous amount of negativity. Any human being can. Now, imagine if we all realize the power that we have to create an equal amount of positivity. Because if you can contemplate creating negative, you can contemplate creating positive. Mm. You can take a life, you can save a life. And so just think about that. If every child knew they could, yes, they could take 40 lives if they wanted to get a machine gun and walk into a school and do something so despicable. Imagine if they, they, they revered and desired to go figure out a way to save 40 lives. And imagine if they put in that same equivalent of energy and planning and desire and our society rewarded them equally or even more so for the lives that they saved as opposed to rewarding them with the fame that they receive for the lives that they destroy. And the same holds true for everyone in society. And so when I look at a human being, I see a nuclear bomb in every one of them, right? And it's like nuclear power for the good or a nuclear uh, bomb for destruction. Mm. And so if each of us look at ourselves as as just an unlimited amount of potential. And, you know, and, and you just be fascinated. You start to see everyone in the world as just this, a massive opportunity for light in the world. And, and our system really just dims your light. Our culture dims your light. The evil in the world dims the light of children everywhere. And so we just produce people that are not fully living in their light. And the work that I've done over the past three years in particular has been to try to remove the negativity from you, remove the trauma through forgiveness, through the healing modalities that I teach to bring in as much light as I possibly can to share it with as many as I can. And the more that I have done that, the more that I've seen my impact grow. And so it's really about the light and the negativity blocks you from fully receiving your light. And so you have to have a daily ritual. You have to have a process to remove that negativity from you so you can bring in new light. And that's just... That's really the, the method that I teach is how to, how to become, you know, a candle where you can just walk into any room, no matter where they're at, and then light them up. Mm -hmm. And each and every one of us has an internal resource, eternal resource, I should say, of a tremendous amount of light that we can capture from all around us. We just have not been trained in how to do that. Mm. So true, man. So yeah. powerful stuff right there. How can we go about healing trauma? Like what have you discovered is sort of like the best way, in your opinion, to actually heal trauma and heal pain? Well, one, one that you, a couple of things that you already touched on is when you said coming from the belief system that everything happens for us, not to us. And so just to unpack that a little bit, you know, I believe that I chose, I believe I was in heaven and I came down to fulfill a role on this earth and I made a deal to, you know, to be able to come to earth. I picked two parents that were very flawed parents, because I needed to pass through their flaws as a filter in order for me to become the light that I am and the father that I am and the person that I am. I would not have been able to had I not met the dark. And so I don't um, begrudge my parents. I'm not mad at them. Uh, in fact, I'm grateful for the pain and suffering that I had to endure. It's like almost like I had the most terrible coaches, but because of those terrible coaches, I learned how to become a great player. And so I can't be mad at these coaches, you know, I, but I'm not going to repeat that and be that same coach because, you know, I don't want to be a terrible coach. I want to be able to, you know, improve upon their method, so to speak. And so that's all we have to do is look at our parents as filters, right? That they came in to teach us something. And so that's this first step. The, the people that have harmed us, you know, it, have, have done so in a way that is going to teach us something so tremendous that it's going to bring more light into the world. And so we wouldn't actually regret the traumas and the negative experiences that we've had, both self-inflicted, the stuff that we've done to ourselves and the stuff that we've been victims of. So that's the first step is to have a philosophy around that. And then the second is compassion. You know, you have to realize that, that the people that have harmed you 
they were harmed themselves. And so if you really get compassionate and you put yourself in a place where you, you know, you see like in the case of my dad, I don't know what happened to him to make him so violent, but I know something must have. And I know that he was never able to share that. He was in Vietnam. There's all kinds of stuff that happened to him in his life that I knew about, but there's stuff that I didn't know about. And so I just have compassion toward him. I'm sorry that you didn't have the same tools to heal that I do. But I thank you for putting me in the position to receive the tools so that I can have, that I so that I was able to do the healing that I did. And so I can have complete compassion to the man that he was and give him forgiveness and heal anything and everything that he gave to me that, that I don't want to carry. You know, every soul that touches you gives you negative and positive. And the key is, is to try to not receive the negative. And when you do, to try to remove it as fast as you can. Most of us just carry these negative traits that we inherited from our ancestors and from our parents. And we carry them, you know, for our whole lives, never knowing how to remove them. So healing is a process. It's painful. And you just have to learn to embrace the pain of healing. And when you do that, and you're constantly, every, every opportunity you get looking for a chance to heal something, you, you build a more groundedness and a more wholeness. And anything that you've transcended from negative to positive gives you a spiritual authority. So like the traumas that I've transcended have given me an authority spiritually, a, a light, an ability to teach and to help others transcend those very same traumas. Mm. And so like I look at them as gifts now as opposed to as curses. Mm. And that's the key. I love that, man. How is your faith in God really? How, how is it? Um, it's not, I think it's at a level above faith. I would say that it's at a level of knowing. Like, um, I, I no longer have to remind myself to have faith. I know. That came as a result of a tremendous amount of work on faith. But I now have, in my opinion, undeniable proof of the existence of God. I have witnessed it in my life. My son was healed from autism. I have healed wounds and injuries and traumas and things that I could never imagine. And I have witnessed many others through the work I've done at Altar Call heal as well. And so when I witness people coming into the home and the events that we do or going to the property that we own called Moon Mountain in Northern Arizona, I see them breaking wide open and healing. I know without a doubt that God's hand is at work and I'm just doing a small little piece of it. Like, my job is just to get the people in the room and then, you know, share as much as I possibly can, get them to open up. And, you know, I let God do the rest. And I've just witnessed his work in my son and myself and in the lives of thousands of people that I've been able to, to make an impact. In. And so I don't, it's not faith anymore. It's now knowing. And with that knowing though, comes a lot of responsibility. And so I wake up every day saying, you know, did I make the impact that I was supposed to today? You know, did I maximize you know, this vessel, this body, this mind, this soul in the role that I'm called to do. And every day I wake up and just do my job, right? You know, because I have this level of knowing now, I don't have to, I don't have to ask the questions of like, will it all work out? Like, I know it'll all work out. I just have to do the work. Mm. Where did you come to this understanding or knowing of Christ? Where, where did that happen for you? Well, I was raised in a very devoted religious family early on in my life. And then when my father and mother broke from that was when I separated. But early on in my life, I was um, I was properly trained spiritually. And so I had that in me and I lost it. But when my mother elevated, I re went back and I reconnected to the child in me. And I did some deep work to the inner child. And that deep work led me to to go back to my faith and my roots in my faith, um, to connect to my grandmother, who's, who's also no longer with us, and uh, my grandfather, and, and to really just, you know, to go back to a level of purity that I had as a child before my light was dimmed. And the more that I did that, uh, you know, the more just miraculous things would happen. And so my inner, my, as a child, those were my roots. And that's why I always share with people, I don't care what your spirituality is. Like, I love you and embrace you. That child, that child came into this world to connect to those spiritual values and that spiritual method, but it was taken away. It was, it was made fun of. It was criticized. It was led to believe that that was the wrong path. But the child was on the right path before that path was, was disrupted. So when we go back and heal our inner child and really reconnect to our soul, which as children, 
you know, our soul is really bright and active, but we also often disconnect from our souls as adults. And so my faith has been there since the day I was born. Um, and now it's just, I've renewed my purity to it. I love that, man. And I especially want to go back to the, the part where you said you've seen the healing of God. You've seen how God's healed your son of autism. I love that because I'm a living testament as well to the fact that God is real. God yeah. does heal, does help, and he does enable things for us, for our benefit, yeah. for our growth and our learning. And one of the reasons why I'm still here is because God has a perfect plan and a purpose for me. I may not yeah. know exactly what it is right now, but he had the same thing for you, Ryan, and you're at a much further level in your life right now. And what I love is that more years, that's it. <laughs> but you've got more years and more experience, but dude. But that's it. I was 24 once too. And, mm. you know, finding my way and my, my, my dream now is to teach people what I learned late young. So I'm, you're helping me fulfill my impact by just teaching you the wisdom that I have here today. It's like, grab it and run with it, man. Like I, I got mm. this stuff way too late in the game. Mm. I'm glad that I got it early. <laughs> I wasn't ready to receive it then, you know, and you're ready to receive it now. And so your generation, it, you got a big job ahead of you. And, you know, the job of my generation is to get you trained as fast as I possibly can. So you can start making the biggest co contribution that you possibly can. Mm. If each and every one of us just lived that way with that same viewpoint, we change the whole world. And that's the plan. Gerard said to me the other day, he's like, we need more positive leaders in the world. We need yeah. more people that are actually stand up and say, hey, look, this is the right path to take and here's why. It's like yeah. I'm going to give you the tools necessary, but it's once again going back to it's your choice whether or not you want to accept it. But I always say to people, hey, if you've got a story to share that you believe that is going to make an impact in the world in a positive way, why are you yeah. hiding that back? Why are, you, why are you stopping? Whether it's fear yeah. or whatever it is, why stop? Share it reach out. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Well, yeah. You, your story has been divinely architected exactly. and the story is one of the most powerful methods of communication. It's, it's been around forever. And so by not embracing the art of telling your story, you're neglecting one of the greatest um, uh, modalities that we have in communication and growth. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, one of the, one of the secrets to my success was I told my story and I wasn't afraid to, shared things. When I was in the business world, I was wearing suits and ties and all of a sudden it came out that I was in a gang and I was a little nervous about that. And I took a huge risk. Like would people judge me? Would people still want to do business with me? Mm -hmm. And it's turned out that even more people want to do business with me now that they know who I am and, and they understand the power of that story. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't want to share it because they're afraid of what other people think. They're afraid of being judged, which it, it makes sense because we get judged, we get criticized and we're not trained in how to actually deal with that and how to process that. And so it doesn't feel good when people criticize you, when they tear you apart, which they've done to me many times. But I've just come to embrace that as part of, you know, part of my soul's journey and part of my learning experience. Mm. And that's the reason why people don't share their story is they're just afraid of criticism. Mm. That's one of the things that I've been wondering about recently is because that's one of the things, like, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable at all. I'm not afraid to share what I've been through uh, with anybody, but it's, it hurts when you get people that you love, trust and respect. Those yeah. that are close to you that actually they hurt you the most when they judge you. Yeah. And they, they ask you, like they tell you why you're doing this. Like you're not good enough to do it. Like, so my, my question to you would be Ryan, how do you work towards getting over that? Or can you get over it? Uh, you know, I've been hurt by many, I've had, I used to have family members make fun of me um, when I first started speaking. And, you know, one was a writer, he was an author, he had written a number of books and he would always make fun of me and my niece would make fun of me. And other people would just, you know, laugh at this, like, oh, you're a motivational speaker. Um, and so I, I've been there and I remember how, how much that, that hurt me. And I, I still recently even had a friend say, well, you'll never be good at that. And mm -hmm. I know something I'm passionate about that I'm working on. And, you know, now I, I really use it as the fuel to my desire. So, 
you know, the bigger our desire is, the, the more we have the ability to achieve. And so when somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm just like, thank you. <laughs> or when somebody tells me I'm not going to be successful, I'm not good enough, thank you. Because I needed some more desire today. And I could always use more desire in my tank. And you have just given me the greatest gift ever. Now, I don't tell them that, right? I just smile and go, oh, you don't think I'll be good at that? Oh, you don't think I'll, I'll be able to be a best-selling author? Okay, thanks. I needed that. I needed that. I needed that negative fuel that I could turn into positive fuel. And so my strategy now, and you know, the other day someone said something to me, a dear friend, and they said that I would never be good at something that I really care about and I've been practicing and working on hard. And I was just like, thank you, Lord, for giving me this friend and this desire. And because I've been praying about desire. And next thing you know, I found myself practicing. I found myself like wanting this even more. And so it was just perfect. So, so wise, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. A couple more, couple more awesome. questions for you, man, if you don't mind, because I am mindful of your time. Don't mind at all. This one, I've only asked a few other people, but what would you say has been the worst piece of advice you've ever received? The worst piece of advice that I've ever received. I've never been asked that question in a thousand interviews I've done. Wow. Um, yeah, I go back to college. Mm. Right. You know, when I, I had been in college, I got to my senior year and I had left um, to go start a business. And a lot of people around me said, you need to go back to college. And even as my business was doing well, people would be like, but you're going to go back to college, right? Now that we've, you know, now that you've got that out of your system. And I'd be like, I'm not going back to college. Mm -hmm. um, and I, but for a while there, I'd have dreams about going like, you know, going back to college. And I would have these, these, you know, this, this huge dilemma about like, I'd have these dreams. I was on campus and, you know, all this negativity around like, should I be going back to college? Um, and it was all because of the stigma that had been placed around dropping out of college and the people that wanted to reinforce that stigma, as opposed to people saying like, great, Bill Gates dropped out of college. You're going to be great too. They were like, you need to go back to college. And it was just them projecting onto me what they had been taught and so forth. But that was probably the, the worst piece of advice. The worst piece I've had a lot of bad yeah. advice given to me though. Um, you know, there's plenty of times that friends have given me advice to go party. Uh, plenty of times that people said, just blow off some steam. You know, people, a lot of times will give you advice for their own agenda. And so I could tell you, I've had countless, I've been given bad advice on countless occasions. I always say that the worst piece of advice is oftentimes the best piece of advice because it can motivate you further if you, if you let it. Um, when I was forced. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I, I just never take advice from people that aren't qualified to give it. Yep, you know, exactly. <laughs> advice and they're not qualified. You know, and it's not that I'm being judgmental. I just quickly qualify, you know, like where they're at. I've had a number of times where people give me advice, for example, on health, and they don't understand the amount of background that I have in health, having run a large um, company in the health and wellness space. You know, like I've, I've done some homework here. And so when they give me advice, I don't necessarily need to share with them the homework I've done. I just, oh, thank you for the advice. And, you know, I, I'm uh, able to filter it based on, you know, um, you know, the, the, based on the knowledge and experience that I have. So, but that it takes time as you elevate and grow, you start to realize who is qualified to give you advice and you really deeply value those people that are. And, you know, you, you have a strategy to quickly reject those people that aren't qualified to give it to you. Mm. I have my inner circle of, yeah. of people that I love, trust, and respect, and I will go to for any advice uh, that I know that I can listen to it. doesn't mean that I have to accept it or, or implement it in my life. I just appreciate their advice. And yeah. then I have those people that are sort of like, they say a lot of things and they try and control what I do. And I keep, yeah. they're still like part of my called friendship group, but they're in my outer circle. So they're the ones that I don't really listen to at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll listen I, you know, to them. I, I, kind of try to, I, I listen to the notes behind the music. So when a person's giving me advice and I don't like the advice in particular, I was like, I wonder, I'll be in my head. I'll be thinking, I wonder where they came to that level of wisdom. Like I get very curious, right? As opposed to insulted. I used to get insulted. Now I'm, I'm more like, wow, I wonder, you know, how long that bad piece of advice has been circulating in our system, right? So mm. I'm no longer offended by bad advice or by people making bad comments or making assumptions or judgments. 
I'm more curious about them much more now. Mm, that's good, man. Really good. Uh, yeah. two, two more questions for you, if you don't mind. I really love this conversation, by the way. Um, Thank you. This one may be a hard one to answer, but we'll see how you go. If you could ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Why? And what question would you ask them? Alive or dead. Right now, I would ask Martin Luther King how he built his movement. Ooh. Right? Like if I, if I had an opportunity to, like, have, behind the scenes, like, how'd you build it? The number one question you can ask anybody is, how did you do it? Mm. When I would interview people in my executive team, like I'm hiring executives, everyone comes in and says they created you know, a billion dollar brand or whatever it is. And a lot of people are taking credit for other people's success. But the people who can tell you how they did it specifically, that's where the magic is. And so and like if I meet a successful person, I just say, how'd you do it? And like, for example, if I say they said they did a billion dollars in sales or something, I say, how'd you do it? And then when they give me a clue, I say, how'd you do that? They give me another clue. How'd you do that? Pretty soon after you've asked the question of how you do it enough, you will get to the answer that you need, you know, that you need for you to take your next step. So how did you do it would be the question I'd ask anybody. And then who might ask would be Martin Luther King. And specifically because right now I'm seeking to create a movement that, it, that, it, that, you know, that creates a similar change to what he did in a similar way, you know, teaching peace and, and so forth. And so I would, I would, and he's the most recent person who's created a movement that I can think of. But, um, you know, the, the, the first people that came to mind were like, Jesus, I would have tons of questions. Um, but, you know, right now, based on me fulfilling my role, I'd, I'd ask Martin Luther King a question. Wow. I could ask you, how did you become a New York Times bestselling author? <laughs> but that By would... the way, if you ask me that, and, and, and then when I tell you, well, okay, I got an agent. And then you say, okay, well, how'd you do that? Oh, well, I wrote a query letter. Okay, how did you do that? You know, what did the query letter say? How'd you write the letter? Mm. And how'd you send the letter? And then who'd you send it to? All right, like if you keep drilling down on how you did it, and then, okay, now we found out how to get an agent, but that's not all the components to becoming a number one New York Times bestselling author, right? There's gotta be more. So mm. how'd you sell so many books, right? And pretty soon when you ask how you did it enough, you're gonna drill down to exactly the action that I took to initiate every transaction in the process of creating that success. Mm. And so it is, it is a, I mean, I, that's probably the greatest piece of wisdom that I can give you. And anytime you're with a mentor, it's drilling down on how you did it. Mm. I love that, man. If I have more time, then we could keep yeah. unboxing. You can reverse engineer it. anything in the world by asking that question enough times in enough different ways of the people who have actually done the engineering. I had a conversation, one of my very first conversations with somebody, he actually said he doesn't look for the why, he looks for the how. And yeah. I really appreciated that because it made so much sense. I'm like, yes, you got to have a why, but then you got to like look at, okay, how? How am I going to do this? Like it's all good, yeah. and, all good and well to have a why, which yeah. get back to, but then you got the actual application, which is the how. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I inquire on both. Right? I want to know the why, the, the drivers, the the ingenuity that took the individual, you know, what were the drivers behind this individual's pursuit of solving this problem? Mm -hmm. Cause that's all anybody that's great is just solve big problems, right? That's it. That's all that greatness is, is solving problems. And the greater the problem to solve, the more greatness you have in your life, right? So if you've written a great book, you've solved a, a lot of problems for people. You've helped them, you know, maybe drop into a fantasy land in the case of J.K. Rawlings. And mm. you solved the problem of people, you know, not dreaming and not experiencing the idea of Harry Potter. You know, everybody who's done anything great has just solved the problem at a level of greatness, right? Exactly. And, and that's basically it. And so, you know, all you got to do is really to problem solve is you just have to reverse engineer it. Mm. The more that you reverse engineer and get down to the first actions taken, uh, the more you're able to then take those similar actions. Mm. I love that, man. My, my, uh, my final question for you, this is my legacy question. My all-time favorite question is, you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it. We'll just call it magic. <laughs> but they've been able to get it show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say in a show about your life? I just would want to see millions of faces in it, wow. right? The impact. So I'll measure my life by the amount of people that I've helped heal and that I've, um, you know, helped, helped get to know God 
And if I saw a film with millions of faces, uh, that, that's it. That's all I need to know to know that I've done a good job. That's beautiful, man. A, a beautiful way to sort of wrap up our conversation. Ryan Blair, thank you so much, man, for your time today, for your story, for everything that you're doing in the world. Where can people find you and connect with you? You can find me on Instagram at Real Ryan Blair, or you can buy my books, uh, sold everywhere books are sold. Nothing to lose, everything to gain, uh, and rock bottom to rock star. And, you know, if you connect with me on social media, um, I'm pretty active on there, so I'd be happy to you know, form a relationship. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.